Welcome back to Calling All Beings. I am your host, Nathan. That's our super mellow intro for our fireside chat uh, sessions, which we have introduced over the last few weeks. And uh, it's been a fun way to have a conversation. We're just kind of doing something a little bit more informal than a, uh, a regular interview, it just allows us to kind of go in different directions and also provides our our guests with a chance to ask questions as well. So it keeps it kind of interesting in that regard. Uh, it's been a little while since we've had a show. It's good to be back on with everybody. DJ is out uh, in the field. He's watching some MotoGP racing as we speak. He's going to try to join us uh, if he gets a chance to with uh, a mobile connection. So we'll see if he pops on in a little bit. But uh, until he does, I want to catch up uh, with my co-host for the day, Deb. Deb, how's it going? What you been up to? Oh, I've been busy doing research, reading books. Um, I took the week off so I could get some relaxation in before things get really busy with work. But next week, back to work. Man, awesome. Yeah, it's uh, and it's been, a, I don't know how your summer's been, but it's been a little bit slower, uh, at least on the podcast uh, scene. Uh, it uh, has given me a chance to work on a couple of other projects, which has been fun. But I get the sense that things are starting to pick up again. Uh, in particular with today, there was a, a big interview that um, we might get a chance to chat about uh, during the during the show. So it feels like things are kind of picking up again, particularly with the uh, new report that we're expecting at the end of October. Uh, so hopefully we'll see some momentum uh, going into the end of the year. Could it be a great Halloween this year. Mm, I like that optimism. Excellent. Well, let's bring on our guest. We are very, very excited to have with us Mr. Ba Baptiste Rescourt. I'm sure I didn't pronounce that name very uh, accurately, but uh, he is a, a Frenchman who has done so much for raising the awareness of the UAP topic in the EU and in France in particular. Um, he's the host of the Explorer Lab, which is a, a podcast and YouTube channel. Uh, where he does interviews and and also you know raises the awareness of the topic in the mainstream he's he's an ardent uh sort of social media user making sure that he doesn't miss interviews that happen in the community uh news articles that are uh, kind of put published about the topic um it's just an excellent resource if you aren't following him on twitter you've got to i think he's a, a great one-stop shop for information so we are very honored to have him with us this evening for our fireside chat so please welcome Mr. Baptiste. Shall I say it? Put your hands oh, together. Put your hands together, yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Such an introduction. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, it's great to have you with us. I um, hope you're having a good evening so far. Uh, so tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, kind of, um, I, I've, I've heard you talk a little bit about how, what, how you got into the topic and you started with an interest from a young age with, I, I believe it was an incident that happened in Mexico and you had a friend that was uh, living there at the time. Is that right? That kind of piqued your interest and started you down this UFO journey? Absolutely not. I no, mean, that's not you? No, no, it's not me. Now, I'm a, I'm a teacher by trade mm. and uh, every couple of years I do a, a big poll with my students to know uh, what concerns them. Mm. And uh, in 2017, in September 2017, uh, the most uh, upvoted question was, uh, what are UFOs? Mm. And uh, with my usual big mouth, uh, I, of course, assured them that I will find the answer. And in September 2017, I looked into the subject and found dirt. There was <laughs> nothing reliable Everybody was tearing each other apart. And I said to them, it's bullshit. And uh, in December 2017, there were the New York Times articles. 
So I had to go back to them and say, sorry, I was wrong. There is actually something reliable inside. It's a very specific program inside the DOG under supervision of the Congress. And that started my work because I still didn't have the answer of what are UFOs. So since then, I've been gathering information to find the answer. Amazing. I mean, I, I love that approach because uh, it's it's kind of very innocent. You know, you were responding to the interests of your class and you just went in to try to find out more about it. And that led you to where you are. Sounds like you've kept a pretty open mind. Uh, but not only did you sort of conclude there was something to it, but you decided that you wanted to raise the awareness of the topic just more generally. So what kind of motivates you to uh, be such a supporter of the topic in social media and also on your Explorer Lab channel? So the, the main diagnostic I could do, I, I did, sorry, uh, was that there was no real scientific research, public scientific research. There is private scientific research, but there is not a public program about it. So the, the easiest way to do it is to fire the curiosity of scientists. Scientists, real scientists are people that love mysteries. They love resolving mysteries. Mm -hmm. That's why they vie for. The problem is that there is a taboo on the subject. How do you lift the taboo? You talk about it. So the what I noticed that there was no uh, nobody sharing information. Even researchers, which it's very strange, but uh, I know almost a, a dozen very reliable researchers that refuse to share information. And, and it is very strange. They want to, to possess the knowledge. Mm -hmm. And not to share it. Mm -hmm. So that's why what, that's what I try to do. I try to gather information and share it. That's fantastic. And it, I mean, again, as, as I said in the introduction, uh, you just seem to never sleep when it comes to finding it <laughs> and sharing it. So I really appreciate that. It's, a, it's, it's an incredible resource. And um, I hope you get a lot of thanks for that because it really is something valuable uh, that, that is a, a constant contribution. So thank you. Um, Deb, do you have any questions for Baptiste? What, what, I know you've got a long list, so, so I'll hear what you questions. want to get into. Yeah. Okay. So, yes, I was noticing looking at the Cometo report that they had all these plans to use all these sy uh, systems, um, radar, uh, satellite, so on and so forth. Um, but the I'm going to say this wrong. I hope I don't... Um, Jean de Marie, we're going to work on this, right? Thank Very you. Nice. Very nice. And, it's, and that they had um, a plan in place where people can talk to um, the police or the military or the Air Force, the Defense Ministry in France um, to provide reports. But what I noticed is that stuff's not coming back out now. Um, are you noticing that also that the information is sort of stalled from that side of things? So I, I would say that uh, I find very strange to ask information from either the military or intelligence service. Their, their business, their main business is not to talk. If you want information, you go to the scientists, not the military. When, especially the intelligence services, um, spread the information, it's because it's useful for them. So 
even in the military, you know, we are in gray wars. We are in information wars. So when you see an information spread by the military, because it serves their strategy, it's a very sincere approach of the art of war, but it's really well done. It's the drums of war. When you want to, your adversary to know you are strong, you appear strong. When you want him to think that you are weak, you appear weak. So I always question a lot any information coming from intelligence services or the military. And I don't really understand why you expect the truth from them. It's really, really, really not their job to do so. On the second part, you note that the commentary report is heavily, uh, references heavily the military in France. That's true, but it's the outside part of the military. The commentary report was structured around um, an institute called the IHEDN, which is a, a kind of military school for very highly educated people. And it was to express a concern that not enough resources was given to this topic by the political cause. So it's not really, you really need to understand the purpose of that book. It was really never meant to be that public. It was a briefing document made for the government, given to the government, read by the government. What happened is that the public taboo was so strong at the time that the press got hold of it and they destroyed the reputation of the men and very senior military men that wrote that report. So that's, that was the death of that report in France. But we know the political core read it, they learned from it, uh, they were aware from it. But it is inside a very long string. The first uh, defense department, French Defense Department uh, organization that deal with UFOs was created in 1951. And it was made public by 1954, before the French Congress, uh, in front of the French Congress, two French congressmen. So it's a very, very long history. It's just that we have a proper military and they just don't talk because they are taught not to talk. So that means we're not going to be able to get that handbook that they created without <laughs> a report of me. Okay, got it. <laughs> you will have uh, the old versions. They are all publicly available. Mm. Well, and I had a question then about, uh, so where, where do you see the uh, the French uh, sensibilities on this topic now? Do you think that that's shifting a little bit? And then uh, I'd like to get your insight too, just on in the EU more broadly, is there, are there any countries that um, from your perspective might be more open to this conversation than, than, than others? Hmm. So the main blocker in the EU was the UK. Uh, France, for decades, tried to launch a, a public European UFO study program. And three times it was torpedoed by the UK. And now the UK has left the scene. So there is an opportunity to do something like that. I don't think it would be that political. The last time it was really pushed by the Belgian state, 
where the prime minister really pushed that, that subject. And it was his reputation was destroyed by the UK for doing it. So I think the, the track that is much more interesting is now what we have with a committee that is called Free uh, AF Sigma 2. It's the French Aeronautical Association. Sigma 2 is, re is a reference of a statistical method of analysis. When you have a set of data, you search for rank of stigma, and the higher your rank of stigma, the more reliable your information is, yeah. until you get to five or six sigma, where you have um, an increased probability of just noise creating a signal. So it's, it's a kind of uh, statistical analysis joke to, for the name of the committee. They just published uh, last year uh, a 400 pages in English report of UFO studies with the best scientific analysis you can find on Earth and destroying some misconceptions of very well-known UFO footage believed to be true and very well explained by conventional means. And I think it's that way to go, to gather scientists interested in that topic, what is doing the SCU or uh, UAPX or uh, Chris Leto in the US, and concentrate your efforts on a very small data set of very reliable information and put aside everything that is even a little gray. Just use white data. And that's why you, you don't see them using very old data. Very old data that is used come from Project Blue Book, which was, which was a very, very scientific analysis of UFO case. And to this day, is still a very strong data set. The problem is that at the time, they had very poor resources to gather information on signal intelligence. So you don't have that much information, but the information you have is really good. Nice. And I've heard um, recently on an interview um, with a CIA analyst, he's a retired analyst, he was talking about the different intelligence agencies. And one thing that caught my attention was that the French are renowned for their intelligence work, that um, amongst the different you know, sort of sub-disciplines in intelligence, they are really well known for their ability to get inside different states, even friendly states, and get quality data out. Uh, and, and create those reports that are so valuable. Um, so do you see that uh, that that France will kind of continue pr applying pressure and be able to collate more information with that white data that you talked about? Do you, do you have a sense that that's going to be uh, increasing in the future? Do we think that they'll be more vocal as a, as a state in, in this conversation? Or are we kind of all still waiting? Is the world just going to be waiting on the U.S. to kind of take the the full lead and, and step forward with what they know. I, I will be blunt. There is no advantage of pushing that subject on an international place. You either have to disclose way of spying on these objects, uh, telling your own population that you don't master your, your own airspace, or requesting help from other countries. So the next day, they will request something in, in counterparts. So publicly, there is zero interest in doing so. On a private level, on a, on a discrete level, it's very different. We, 
the, the fact that uh, still uh, since 1951, we have a military program that study UFOs is a very strong signal. We don't have the resources of the US. We are a very small country. Um, uh, France is equivalent to California in, uh, in financial power. So when we give resources to a program, we really ask ourselves, do we need that program or not? And we need that program. And it is a, it's a very serious subject, the higher you go in the hierarchy. We have military pilots chasing UFOs above the, uh, the Southern Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, we have encounters with them. We have very senior military people that said that they encountered them in the French skies. We have very senior civilian pilots that gave testimonies and uh, corroborated by military data on it. So it's a very sturdy topic. The problem is the taboo that was engineered and if you believe the Australian intelligence service by the CIA in the US. And that's the only blocker there is. So you don't really need to push the subject internationally. You need to talk to newspapers. You need to talk to journalists. You need to introduce them to that topic. They've been bred to ignore. Uh, Ross Coulthard gave several times a very interesting testimony about his youth uh, as uh, a young uh, journalist. And he was taught to ignore the subject. So you have a whole generation of journalists you need to convince a new journalist to introduce to the subject. Yeah, agree. Deb? One thing I noticed um, in doing my research into France um, is that you have a growing problem with um, some animal mutilations, especially horses, um, but that there's a really low number of reported abductions. Um, so I feel like there's still abductions, of course, but you know there, there's a cultural difference in how people are reporting. Um, so I guess I just want your perspective on yeah, what is the perspective of the cultural differences? We've already touched on a few of them. Obviously, there's a different thought about the military aspect that we shouldn't expect that from them like we do here. <laughs> but but what is what is your thought on the cultural difference? Uh, I so uh, firstly to to answer your question about abductions, we have them too. Uh, we just have um, a whole laboratory, public laboratory of research on it. Uh, when um, an abductee contacts the Japan, who is the um, uh, national public office about UFOs, uh, if it's an abduction case with psychological trauma, it is sent to that laboratory that takes charge of the patients and. Uh, Heal them the best they can. Uh, we have also a private association that gives support, psychological support to abductees. Um, I don't have his, his name in the. Ah, it's v. I'm sorry. Can you give me time to look for the name or not? Of course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, while you're doing that, um, maybe we can chat a little bit about something that happened uh, today, just not long ago, uh, that I'd like to get into uh, on the show today as well. 
So, Deb, I don't know if you had a chance to catch the interview with uh, Jay from Project Unity and Oak Shannon, uh, where Oak provided some uh, corroborating evidence for the uh, to some of the details that were present in the Wilson Davis memo, um, specifically, you know, corroborating that uh, Admiral uh, Wilson did call him to try to get a sense of Eric Davis, kind of vouch mm -hmm. for Eric Davis's uh, credentials. And that did take place around the same time that the memo referenced it did. Uh, so that, that was quite an interesting detail. But um, I don't know if you if you caught that and had any thoughts about that conversation. Um, actually, it doesn't surprise me. Everything indicates to me that the document is real. Um, I have a different sense of the weight of it, though, because I think to me it was sort of obvious that we had crash retrieval programs that go, went into private, you know, hands. Um, I thought it was pretty much indicated when Moondust was all over the FOIAs. But I am happy that he confirmed that. I did see him mentioning that on Facebook, um, quite lengthy description of what his video was going to be. So I'm, I'll be happy to look at that later. Nice. Excellent. Excellent. B Baptiste, I don't know if you did you catch that interview. I know we want to get back to you, but uh, while we're on that topic, did you have a chance to listen to that earlier today? Um, I did not listen to it because I don't um, care about the, the Wilson uh, mm. documents. Uh, but that's what I said. It's not scientific data. Mm -hmm. So, of course, the U.S. has a program on this. Of course, you have private contractors that are working on it. It's written in the Project Saucer Memorandum to the press in 1949. So, you don't need the Wilson Memo document. You have a war memorandum published by your military at, by the Air Material Command saying that they have... Uh, hired laboratories, private laboratories, to study UFO uh, debris. Right. Yeah, there I it is. I don't need the gray documents. <laughs> yeah, the, the Mintos program was going before satellites were in the sky. And they were running yeah. around picking up things all over the world, probably in France, too. You know, they were paying people for whatever fell from the sky. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Mm -hmm. So I, 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 it amazes to me that people are still like, was there a crash retrieval program? And I keep thinking, you think? Maybe? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a very simple question. How much resources would the U.S. give to have the latest prototype of Russian fighter aircraft? And just picture that to another species that sent a ship on Earth. Just imagine the amount of resources the U.S. would be willing to spend to have that. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I it, would love to know if there were breadcrumbs to France picking up some craft from France, too. You know, that'd be great to find out. <laughs> we had a lot of debris. We had a lot of debris. Mm. Yes, yeah, so maybe you can speak to that then. Uh, are you aware of any French programs to study that uh, debris or... Uh, our ongoing programs to study it? So uh, as far as I know, the researcher that has the most of it is Jacques Vallée, uh, mm -hmm. who has uh, an agreement with the um, uh, French National Space Agency and uh, can use the uh, this agency um, this agency's laboratories uh, to do research on these debris recovered. And uh, in the meantime, he uses the technology made by Gary Nolan um, with his um, high-on-beam uh, microscope. Mm -hmm. Right. 
That's great. And so there's yeah. something like 25 uh, different debris to analyze. Mm-hmm. But it, it's known since uh, 1998. Uh, he published a whole report uh, in, um, in the Journal of Scientific Exploration, if I remember well, where he listed all the debris he gathered and the basic analysis of, uh, of components. And uh, were you able to find what you were looking for on the on the screen? Yes, so it's the zero C E R O. And uh, if you want information about French abductees, you can contact them. They are very open to dialogue. Mm. I think I may have the link for that. I think I just saw that the other day. Mm. Oh, nice. it's not hidden at all. It's it's very yeah. public. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that because the question about that stems from also the SSE, the Society um, for Scientific Exploration. There was someone, um, a sociologist, who was talking about how the French report less abductions. And at the time of his comments, which I think was about 2015, he said there were only 100 public French reports. And that's in contrast of what the U.S. supposedly had, which was about 75,000. Uh, so first, you need to compare to per capita. So uh, the, the U.S. is six times the size of France. So you will have more. And uh, a lot. you need to understand that culturally, we have a big ego. <laughs> we really culturally have a big ego and we are proud to be French. So when we have to say that we have been abducted and raped inside the ship by aliens, culturally, it's really a struggle for us. But uh, you have Maritas de Bros, who wrote a whole book on UFO abductions. You have Joel Menard that wrote a whole book of contactees. Uh, so we have a very interesting cases of dialogue with these entities. What And just kind of follow that a little bit further. Um, what would you say is the French... Uh, attitude toward the more sort of paranormal aspects of of the ufo topic is is it because it sounds to me like it uh it's really only looked at and appreciated largely from the very sort of nut nuts and bolts scientific perspective is there any uh how do the french people tend to kind of think of these other strange uh sort of experiences of the phenomena whether they be uh, you know, orbs or experiences uh, with, uh, you know, people who might be ghosts or apparitions or, you know, these other sort of stories that you hear that might be related to the mm-hmm. UFO phenomenon. So that's my opinion. I never found a real data set that could um, show that scientifically. So it's only my perspective on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that it's the opposite. Hmm. Uh, a very large part of the population had contact with anything that you call weird. Mm. They know there is something weird in our perception of reality. And UFOs are lackluster in comparison. Mm. Uh, People see that as um, an entertainment uh, and would trust more uh, yeah, I think it's the proper expression. They would trust more a Frenchman saying he saw a ghost than a Frenchman saying he saw a UFO. Mm, okay. I think that that's more proper. Not publicly, but discreetly from one to another, 
Mm. I think it's more suited because there is no real taboo in general on the topic of paranormal stuff. Mm. I, I think it's proper. In the, um, in the public newspapers, it's the opposite. The paranormal is like banished from any serious publication. But UFOs, as they have uh, nuts and bolts components, you have very serious and senior journalists that are working on it and follow what is happening in the US and relay information for, to the French media. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. And, and that's, I mean, I get, that's sort of a remnant uh, of France's, you know, sort of more religious past, would you say? Or what, what's the, the comfort with the paranormal there? Is it coming from that or something else? Not really, because we are one of the countries that has the most atheist population. Mm -hmm. So, and we have been, uh, so there is a nickname for France that it is the daughter of a church. And it was true for a very long time. But right. since the 1950s, it has very much degraded. And you have a kind of religious fundamentalism that happened um, hmm. re really like what you can find the far right uh, in the US. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I don't think it's related to it. It's related to it in, in, the, in Italy. Italy, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, you have, um, we have statistical da data on Italy. Uh, it is the country that has the more paranormal stuff and it is correlated with the more practice into religion. And mm -hmm. there is a real correlation there. Um, I think it's really the part about talking to it publicly that differs. It's pretty well accepted in other countries like Brazil, South, even every country in Southern America is very open on the subject. The Brazilian law is astonishing about it. If you've never read the, the Brazilian official law on ghosts, it's, it's, it sounds like, like fantasy for us, but it exists. Uh, and you have that in Italy, you have a bit, little bit of that in Spain, and you don't really don't have that publicly in France. So I think it's more a cultural problem. Fascinating. That's really interesting. Deb? Yeah, I was going to say, um, I would be remiss if I didn't ask the question that DJ would be asking if he was here right now, <laughs> since we're talking about the other paranormal and anyone who's interested in this topic runs into this. What is the story with Bigfoot in France? I have to ask. <laughs> I, I really um, appreciate uh, David Polaides' uh, work on the subject. Um, and we have really weird um, witness testimonies in France. But it's not limited to France. Uh, you have some reports in Germany, some reports in Poland, all the way to Russia. But We don't have, to my knowledge, someone who is really looking to it like David Polaides did in the U.S. Hmm. And are the, I mean, are the I, siding, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I suspect that my my view is that it's a cryptid, right? It's a, a, mm. an entity that we haven't identified. So... I don't know if France has the level of like unpopulated uh, forest and whatever. So maybe you can speak to that, but that's 
possibly why. Um, I'm not sure it's that simple. Hmm. Are there, does the, the, I'm sure France does, but uh, is, is there like a rich tradition of folklore in France like uh, there is in, in England and, and in Ireland? And... So it was pretty much sterilized by the Roman Empire. So mm -hmm. we are not, most French people would say, we are Celtic warriors. No, no, we are Romans. Uh, we have been colonized and it, it has obliterated. We have like 20 Celtic words in the French language mm -hmm. compared to the 30,000 in the uh, Greek and Italian, uh, Roman Italian roots. So uh, that culture pretty much obliterated what we had in folklore at the time. But when the Christian religion established itself in the fourth century in France, they converted all the folklore into uh, its local texts. So when you dig inside uh, ancient texts, you can find rests of rests. Uh, something coming from that folklore mm. uh, that is uh, like residing inside a residue. Very well. That's fascinating. Okay, so if you don't mind, I'd like to go a little bit back into something you said earlier. Um, you said that in 1951 they started to study the UFOs in France, the OVNI. Um, why do you think it was then? Was it uh, as a a result of what was going on in the United States and England, or do you think it was some other thing that was a catalyst for that involvement? So uh, in, in the 50s, we had an author uh, called Jimmy Guyeux, who published that the original 50s book, published two books in 52 and 54 about the subject. And it was pretty much the first to give information about what was happening in the U.S. Because in the U.S. you had uh, all, all what was happening between 42 and 52. It was a very dense period. And you have a book by Graham Randall in English um, about flying saucers. I don't remember the name now. Sorry, Graham. Uh, about that specific period. And you have another book from him uh, on the 42, 45 period on the Foo Fighters that is really interesting. So I, I would recommend to go to his sources to have more information for the US. In France, we had very weird UFO flap. I mean, people um, going out of flying saucers, going to uh, meeting farmers, on their farmland, the farmers getting scared, launching attack dogs to them, uh, the little people going to hide inside tree, uh, on top of trees to escape the dogs, the farmers shooting at them, believing it was the return of the Second World War. So it was a pretty messy stuff in France. So that's why the French Air Force uh, acted that fast. We had a trauma about it, about the Second World War, because we lost the war in one month because the Belgium didn't want uh, our defensive line to go along their border. So the, the Nazi Germany uh, just get around <laughs> the border. Mm -hmm. And our French Air Force was decimated in the Second World War. So when we heard about UFO stuff in the 50s, after being destroyed on ground and on hair, it was an immediate reaction. 
what are uh what are some things that you're kind of paying really close attention to not only like in the near term this year with developments but uh the long term as well what are some things you're hoping to see oh that's a very good question so i see two ways and and it's only my opinion i have no authority no special knowledge it's just what i see the first way would be um, and it was an idea from a friend of mine in germany uh, that wrote uaptheory.com um, the dis everybody is waiting for the nasa to announce uh, they discovered traces of life anywhere mm -hmm. and we know that there were publications that has been blocked um, because they are not sturdy enough to a public reveal and they could be criticized because it's not direct knowledge, it's an extrapolation of data. Mm. So maybe everybody on Earth is waiting for that thing that is absolutely indisputable, like having a plant uh, photographed by um, Opportunity uh, on, on Mars. Right. So, uh, it's, okay, it's a plant, it's living, it's on Earth. <laughs> okay. Right, yeah. <laughs> It happened. Mm -hmm. um, and I think at that point, everybody will realize uh, we are not alone. There is something else living. People that have the keys to the secrets will assess the situation. How do people react? Is there craziness in the air? Do they mm -hmm. maintain themselves or not? And if they maintain themselves, uh, they will release information at that point slowly around on, on, on a 10 years program, I think, something like that, something mm -hmm. to go easy. The other part is that um, Melon and Elizondo's win, they managed to have enough political powers by uh, the way of Gilbert, Marco Rubio, uh, and uh, Gallego to, to bend the will of the Department of Defense, which is a pretty huge stuff. I don't know if people realize how hard it is and how amazing it is that they succeeded so far. Mm -hmm. But they could win that way and give um, a, a piece, a, a hand piece. You know, when you, you want to stop the struggle and you give a hand so the other one can shake it to make peace about something uh, to, to the DOD and say, okay, that topic you lost, just forget about it we we and that's why you have that feeling of um, a blanket about the 70 years of history on the subject because it's nasty stuff inside it's very very nasty nasty, nasty stuff just here the number of lies said by doty about what he did <laughs> if he lies about everything inside that area of time <laughs> what yeah. is hiding behind these lies that are already very very bad so there is really nasty stuff that happened in that era of time, and it was not even protected by the, uh, the U.S. law. It was before the law that forbid operation on U.S. citizens happened. So they, they went really far uh, to anyone that is questioning that. Go look at the uh, MK Ultra project and what happened to young students that were enlisting in universities, and it's just horrible. It's just horrible what happened. And it was because they found they needed it for the Cold War. So imagine the level of secrecy they could have developed for a technology like UFOs. 
I just I just use public historical data and extrapolate it to something even bigger as UFOs, and it would have made scared shitless even the strongest military. You have yeah. vectors. You can you have potential nuclear vectors that can appear instantly in the air above your bases. You can't detect them. You can't intercept them, and they disable your nuclear weapons. How do you want to scare more military men than that? Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, DJ, I got, got you on. Welcome to the show, bud. Hey, how's it going, guys? Hi, Baptiste. <laughs> it's going well, man. How are you? I'm doing good. I had to wait for the superbike race to end. Those bikes are the loudest. And uh, I didn't think I could get away from them. And my battery's nearly dead. But I, I certainly <laughs> have enough to, to say hello to you guys. How, how's, how's it going? It's going great. Uh, Deb was able to ask a uh, a Sasquatch question about about Baptiste what? on your behalf. Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, Deb. I know. I owe you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to get into the depth of that though, because the answer was it may not just be cryptid. Yeah, yeah. I, okay, I was going to so, ask you. So go ahead. Yeah, please. No, follow please. No, I was yeah. I was going to follow on that. Yeah. So I, well, I wanted to know, Baptiste, are the sightings uh, that you're familiar with in France related to Sasquatch? Are they uh, kind of all over the country? Or are they primarily in certain re regions uh, near the? Well, it's basically or... the, the same stuff. Uh, people walking inside a forest or uh, close to the limit of a forest mm. and seeing something weird or hearing voices in their head. Um, or losing control of themselves. What what Palaides described uh, very well. Pretty much exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's why I don't think it's Bigfoot because uh, if you if you think it's a cryptid, uh, we have similar species, but there are different um, appearances, uh, physical appearances of um, animals. Uh, if, if he, one of the Motif. One of the reasons to push uh, the European population to colonize the US was the myth that, uh, the true myth, the, the legend that was being spread, that everything was bigger in the US because you had bigger, um, bigger game uh, mm. for hunting, uh, you have bigger land, uh, bigger crops, uh, and th that would be very weird uh, to not see that inside a cryptid. Mm -hmm. Right, that's a good point. So, do you, you think there's kind of more of a, a like a, a paranormal paranormal component to the Bigfoot sightings? Then, well, we have a whole book of accounts, but I don't, I don't have it in paper. I have it um, about um, close encounters, mm. and in close encounters, you there, there is a the theater effect. There is something wrong with the logic of the situation. And it's like you are inside a dreamlike stance where you don't really question how logical things happen to you. What Valet described um, as a, a trickster. There is something absurd in the clown's close encounter. What they just don't talk to us and explain and we don't we understand. They have to invent star systems that uh, don't exist or Right. Um, we had planets uh, where they say they bring the, the witness and it leaves a story that is really dreamlike. So I think there is um, a perception part that is escaping most people. You need to understand that you have 
very, very shitty senses. You don't <laughs> see reality. Right. Your eyes has only three colors. You can see blue, green, and red. That's all. Everything else is created in your brain. You always have one second delay because uh, to everything that happens around you, the time your brain needs to process all the information that is happening. That, that's why you're surprised of something. Mm -hmm. That's why you think um, a you can't catch a fly. It's because the, the, the brain of a fly is so small. It thinks three times faster than you. Mm. Reality, what you feel about reality is an illusion created in your brain. In cases of madness, it's a part of your brain that takes control of what you see and makes you see something that isn't real for others. But it is real for you. That's mm. what we call madness. Right. A mad person is, is not mad for uh, herself. It's mad compared to all the others that don't see what... It, her see, uh, she says. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a vast misunderstanding about what is perception and how brain creates that perception. If you have a high enough level of technology where you can pinpoint which neuron in the pathway modifies which information, you can do anything you want and I go back again to the MK Ultra experiments that were literally to modify the perception of a subject of a situation to create a behavior that wasn't natural. Mm -hmm. DJ, you had a follow-up? Uh, yes, just had to open my mic. Yes. Um, the one thing, if I use the intelligences that, that visit us, uh, and have abducted people or have appeared in their home and not abducted people. And then I contrast that against what Nathan and I have discovered is, you know, right now we're sitting on about, you know, 13 or 1400 first person encounters with this creature in the forest, hunters, hikers, campers. The diff one of the differences is that some of these people have found where the creatures are bedded down and they can see where they've made a bed. They have found the dung that they say looks similar to a Foster's lager can for those of you who've had those gigantic <laughs> beers. Um, they have seen them in the family unit, toddlers being held in their mother's arms. And, and so while I have not decided whether or not I think this is an interdimensional creature or not, I think it's not that I should. I don't even have an opinion yet. I mean, I had one opinion. I changed my opinion. So right now I think I just need to not have an opinion. But I will say this, there is a, a, a little bit of a gap between what we have seen relative to real, actual creature, humanoid creature living in the woods, subsisting in the woods, hunting deer, uh, grabbing calves out of uh, farmers' uh, pens, uh, eating out of people's vegetable gardens that does not exist with the phenomenon that that uh, is to not necessarily use all the same uh, foods and so on that we do. So I think we're I'm leaning towards, you know, terrestrial mammal, but I'm certainly open to changing my mind because I've already gone back and forth at least once or twice. <laughs> the, 
I think you need to, to have, if I may, a more complex view of the situation. Very few problems are simple. There is always um, two faces of uh, one coin. I think that there is an overlap between two phenomena. One that is uh, a being, that is an undiscovered species. The other is a phenomenon that is able to mimic something else, anything else. We have reports of UFOs mimicking the shape of aircrafts. Mm-hmm. We have uh, witness describing seeing a UFO in the air, changing shapes and turning it to, into um, a, cruiser, a, cruiser, um, a flying jet. Mm. We have close encounters where most of the people described in close encounters are human-like, which is very interesting. 60% of close encounters witness describe a human talking to them. Mm-hmm. So there is, of course, an ability to mimic us, which is very well thought. We do the same. When we want to study Yenas. We create a robot that looks like a hyena. So it can go inside the nest without being destroyed. We have very weird reports that, are, that have been studied by uh, David Polides that describe UFOs landing and a Sasquatch going out of it and going to the forest. So I think that that you have a phenomenon that can mimic anything it wants to study it which is reminiscent of what Bigelow said. They are under our noses. Yeah, I want to say that I share your philosophy, actually. The, the, the cabbies have heard me say on many of occasions, it's not necessarily this or that. It is perhaps this and that. And I've mm-hmm. said that. <laughs> these guys have probably heard me say that more than they wish they did. So I do agree with you on that. So we, I think we share that opinion. I probably didn't express myself uh, completely. But I, I agree with you. It, 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 can, it can be this and that. I was merely, I think what I was trying to say and not said it, express it particularly well, is that there are certain types of encounters that humans have had uh, being physically struck by the creature. One, a couple of fishermen in Ohio, one of them threw rocks at it and was physically struck. So there are just some, you know, some uh, more terrestrial uh, uh, happenings, but I, I don't. I don't deny that there could have also be an interdimensional component in addition to that. And there is the, the last part. It's, there is a third stage in the Venn diagram we are drawing. It's that you, the human brain is perfectly able to lie to itself. Hmm. If you see something that you don't want to exist, your brain will cover it with something else. So... It's a, it's a veil memory. It's something is under it, and you need to pierce the veil to go under it. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it, it, the level of uh, intelligence that we see in the phenomena routinely seems to uh, indicate that it, it, it's allowing us to see it in a certain way. Uh, you know, that we... Um, as you said very eloquently, we are changing the way we perceive it mm-hmm. uh, because of our filter, uh, the filter, way we filter in data of our own perception. Um, 
it definitely raises a lot of interesting questions. And DJ, I, I, I agree, it's uh, it's quite peculiar, um, particularly if these creatures are, uh, you know, just sort of setting up shop in our forests around the world. Uh, you know, could it imply that, um, you know, if they if there is some sort of phenomenal connection there, that they, uh, you know, are just sort of stationed here, in other words, for, for lack of a better term, um, or, uh, or it's all interconnected on some sort of more fundamental, longer-lasting, ultra-terrestrial type of deep, deeper level. Um, but I guess that kind of get, gets us to uh, a good a good question as we kind of veer toward the end of the show. But, you know, Baptiste, do you have a uh, kind of a, a leading hypothesis about, you know, something that you're particularly drawn to on the, hypoth- on the phenomenon, something that, you know, you think is the most compelling way to look at the information? I think it's the worst problem of this topic. To mm. to have an hypothesis means you have a way to test it. Yeah. You don't have hypotheses. You have ideas. Sure. And ideas are your worst enemy in science because you prepare what you want to see in the data. So I refuse to have ideas about that subject until I have something in my hand. Mm. And once I will have something in my hand, exactly what is Valet and Nolan doing, but yeah, they have something in their hand. They are studying it. That's the way to go. And you let the data speak. Mm. What we saw in the data, we saw that it wasn't uh, an obtainum material to, mm-hmm. to get a, um, a coast-to-coast reference. Uh, it's materials. What is weird is the balance of isotopes inside it, meaning it has been engineered, and it has been engineered in a way that doesn't make sense to us. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would cost a tremendous amount of resources for, in 1950s, do these isotopes. And they don't have any use at all for us. So it's really, really weird. But the components could have been made on Earth they, they aren't that different from what you find on Earth. They have been engineered, which is a very interesting piece of data. If you can generalize that uh, statement, it's not uh, uh, black dwarf materials used to have a very strong structure. No, no, it's just normal stuff you can find on the ground and you put it in a nuclear reactor under certain constraints and it gives a good ratio of isotopes for your technology. And I don't know why not... It's, it's not that sexy. It's not like a big spaceship like uh, Ranma uh, coming from another galaxy and meeting us with uh, flags all around. Uh, no, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not that way. It's not that sexy. It's a piece of rock that are slightly different than what we have. Mm-hmm. But it is very, very important to wait the, the information there is inside that. It hasn't made it. It wasn't made far from us, right? So I actually um, heard you talk about this before. Um, you were talking about the potential of this being something that is evolving alongside us, um, using resources on the planet and so forth. And I feel like the only thing that is really consistent is the orbs. Um, the orbs, that, which basically could be, you know, who know anything from a, a ball of energy to, I don't know, you know, something we can't even fathom. 
So I just wanted to follow up on what you uh, think about that. And so if you wanted to expound on that evolution concept. So first, we need to define what you, you called orbs because there is a, a very big misunderstanding about that. So I, I dislike orbs. Uh, I, I prefer signals because you can't interpret signals. Orbs are like magic stuff. I don't like magic stuff. In the 3AF Sigma 2 report uh, published in 2021, you have a whole area of science that has been discovered that has um, atmospheric plasmas. And they do really, really weird stuff. I mean, stuff we don't understand. We saw them, we know it's natural, it's not technological, and it's really, really weird. Like uh, in the last SCU conference, uh, Rich Hoffman described studying um, semi-luminescent plasmas at ground level and stagnant, meaning a ball of light that hovers but sunlight only in one way, which is impossible. Mm. And it's natural. So there is a whole area of physics we start to understand it. That's what it's called UAPs. There was a lot of debates about what they call that UAPs, what not UFOs. But UAPs means anything that you can detect. UFOs mean flying objects. It's not flying, it's not all the time objects. And I agree, sometimes there are orbs that are doing really weird stuff that seems sentient. I absolutely agree with that. The problem is that we have the technological level to do that. You can concentrate energy inside the hair at a point where it emits light and it's the shape of a ball. It consumes a truckload of energy, but you can't do that. And we can do that since I think I was 14 years old the first time I read an article about that. The Navy is, he patented it to use it to uh, use it as a spoof for uh, massive tracking infrared signatures. So I'm very cautious about using the orbs uh, as a whole. I prefer to talk about signals when it's emitting from a source and if there is a type of code inside it. And we have many reports of that. We have many reports of signals being received from craft that vanished just after it, which is very interesting. And nobody talks about it, but it is very interesting. And science we're working on now, because we're working on making light from sound now. Hmm. Interesting. I, it was 20 years ago. Seriously, the technology is 20 years old to do that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I forgot the second part of your question. Sorry. No, I just I was just the idea that they're evolving alongside us, which kind of implies ultra-terrestrial. No, I don't agree at all with that uh, exception. I've uh, there is an old saying in science: um, if I don't need it, I don't use it. It doesn't mean that uh, everything is simple. We, we saw earlier that you need to have complex models for complex situations. But when it is not needed, I tend to not use it. Do I need ultra-terrestrial? No. We discovered 10% of our oceans. Even on ground, do, do you know if a forest near you? Have you walked every centimeter of the forest near you? I'm in Europe. I go in the forest. Every 10, 10 meters, I have an undiscovered ruins of something. 
We have been there for 50,000 years. There are ruins everywhere. Same thing in the US. You had human population for 50,000 years. You have the biggest wounds complex on Earth. And people forgot that civilizations collapse all the time. Yeah, it's a it's a rich environment full of uh, relics and information. It's kind of always around us, and we're you know we make these discoveries, and in a way, we're our surprise is a little bit surprising. <laughs> you know that, that we're we're shocked to find these things, even though they they've been there. Uh, we should expect to find many of these things, correct? And uh, and it's a part of what um, you you hurt yourself by using the ancient aliens because mm. any true archaeologist know it was made by human hands. It's just that they had time on their part. We do stuff fast. They had centuries to build a temple. Take a church in France. The root of the church is a thousand years old. Mm-hmm. And it's not even near what the Romans did in Rome in uh, 30 years we lose technologies we don't require all the time look at what the egyptians did in sculpting it's just amazing they had nothing they had a technological level of copper they have they had points of copper mm-hmm. to scratch the stone and they did amazing works of details because they spent the resources to do it and it mattered to them. And it's really something I push against because you are decriminalizing yourself by using the ancient aliens hypothesis. It doesn't mean they weren't there, but do you see them today giving us technologies or showing (laughs) us how to do things? Mm -hmm. And nowhere in history it is written somewhere, nowhere. People want to search the archives of uh, the Vatican. Ask the Jews. The Jews have all their history far beyond what the Vatican has for millennia of oral tradition. Mm. They have zero about it. Zero. Weird stuff, you see it in the fourth century when the Quran is written. And there you start to see what we would call modern UFOs, which is really interesting. Why it isn't noticed anywhere else, modern UFOs? I mean, things in the sky that seems to answer when you talk to them. Mm-hmm. And it is written in the fourth century. So there is a progression of involvement from the phenomenon towards us. And they could have very well been there thousands of years ago. Doesn't mean that they need to talk to us. They don't talk to us today. What would they talk to us before? Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, Deb, I know you want to ask him about the uh, upcoming conference. Yeah, I had a, heard a rumor that there's going to be a conference coming up. I was wondering if you were planning on going or if you had any uh, additional information you could provide that it would be at Talaloose, I believe, on the 13th and 14th of next month. Is that something you've heard of? But it's not a rumor. It was, yeah. it was, it was not hidden. Oh, yeah, I just was wondering if you could tell us more about it because I, I don't know anything. 
Ah, uh, so uh, every few years, the Japan uh, creates a big conference about uh, UAPs, but everything UAPs from crafts to uh, atmospheric plasmas that I just talked about. And it's called the Kaipan uh, conference about uh, UAPs. And uh, this year is the second edition of the uh, Kaipan. It's the Kaipan 2. Nice. And will you be attending? Uh, I should be. Excellent. Well, what else do you have coming up uh, and toward the end of the year? Do you have uh, some some shows on Explorer Lab? What what things are you working on right now? So, uh, time schedule is a problem. I improvise everything. I don't plan ahead because I have very huge projects I have in my work life. Mm. Uh, some related to the phenomenon, some not related to the phenomenon, and I give them priority. Uh, and I have a private life, believe it or not. So <laughs> you're allowed that, yes. <laughs> the, what I do on Twitter and when I do on Explorer Lab is the, the the last hour of my day when I have enough energy to do something. Mm. So uh, that's the way I work with it. So it's not uh, too heavy burden for me to to work on. Got it. But I I don't plan anything ahead. Got it. Cool. Well, I really, again, wanted to thank you for joining us today. Um, I know it's getting late over there and uh, we had a wonderful time chatting with you. I love your insight. I love the way you look at the topic. And to me, it's uh, it's incredibly enriching to hear from another perspective ar around the world. And and to in the U.S., we kind of get this, uh, we get blinders on thinking that it's kind of just happening here, but it's obviously not. And there's there's a rich amount of information that's happening uh, throughout the world and an excellent conversation to be had. So I really applaud what you're doing in raising that level of awareness and, and your willingness to kind of connect with those of us over here and, and have these conversations. It, it means a great deal. So thank you so much for all of that. Uh, let me, let me answer that. Yeah. What you are doing in the U S is the most important thing any human has ever done for our species. There are a faction that don't want to talk about this subject. You are the leader of the free world. Point, and, and the French hate that. We hate, but it is not <laughs> us. We should be the leader of the free world. But you are, you are. And you are pushing very strong on that topic. And I, you need to understand that there are people that are trying to influence this conversation and trying to slow it down. When you see something, a content, and fundamentally doesn't add anything to a subject, doesn't show any new data, nothing, just questions things freely. That's how you create a conspiracy theory. Mm. That's how you have been trapped for 50 years since the end of Project Blue Book. They did the same trick on you for 50 years and it works. Every time you give a piece of information there, another piece of information there, the two seems contradiction because you don't have the whole picture in head. Right. So you have factions fighting each other and you have the people that have the knowledge, the whole picture, understand, watching and waiting, but you die of old age. You need, and it's um, an absolute for our species to fight for it. And you are the only nation in the world that is still truly democratic. Our system in France isn't a real democracy. 
it's a kind of balanced dictatorship where we change dictators every few years. But the powers we have given to our president are astonishing. You have still a true democracy. Is it corrupt? Of course, every government, every human organization on earth is corrupt. We are humans. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean it's broken. It means you need to fight for it. You have a part of your own government paid by your taxes and you hate in the US paying taxes. Yeah. That is manipulating you into trying to make you quit the fight and is spreading lies and half-truths to divert attention from them. It is really, really, really important that every part of your audience know how important you as an American citizen are important for the whole debate. So thank you all. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that, Baptiste, but I, um, I have to say that one of my goals is to connect all of the information that is available all over the world so that we understand that this is a global problem, even if the U.S. may appear to be leading it. Although I will say that's appearances. Who knows what's going on with the five eyes behind closed doors and the other eyes that are not identified like Japan, right? Who knows? But I, I, I think we all have to work together, which is why I'm definitely going to bug you for the link for that report, the um, French Aeronautical Association report. I want that now. And I thank you so much for all that you do. I'm definitely going to um, I'll keep looking out for more information from France. Um, and I hope that you can let us know what happens with that conference and all that great stuff. So thank you again so much for what you're doing because because there's not enough voices coming out in the public in France. And I appreciate that you are. Uh, it has been a real pleasure. You've been adorable with me. I, you you tried to trick me with Sasquatch, but it's a, I, I'm a huge <laughs> fan of David Polidis' work. So you, you won't corner me on, on Sasquatch. <laughs> Well, you were a good sport to uh, to talk about it, so thank you. <laughs> uh, it's fascinating. Well, I, I wanted again thank you for coming, and thank you to all of those who have been listening uh, along with us in the chat today. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. And uh, next up on our show on Monday, we've got uh, TJ Allard. He'll be coming back to the show to talk about uh, what he's been working on, and uh, a little bit of Skinwalker Ranch talk as well. I'm sure. Very uh, nice guy. Yeah, he's an excellent guy. So really excited to chat with him again. Uh, and we wish all of you a, a wonderful rest of your weekend. So hope everybody has a good time and, uh, and a good, good week ahead. And we will catch everyone down the road. So peace out, one love. We'll see you down the road, as DJ says. We're always looking for what's up, what's coming up around the bend. Take care.